what is freedom? I mean, what does it mean to truly be free? Think about that for a minute. Because I think most of us, when we talk about freedom or when we talk about what it means to truly be free, we think about this idea of getting to do what we want. We think that's freedom. And we think that freedom means no one's going to tell me what to do. I can make up my own rules, and I'm not going to have to be subject or submit to, or submit to anyone. I can just do what I want to do. I'm free. That's what people will say when something happens that they don't like or when someone asks them to do something that they don't like. They'll say, well, I'm free. You can't tell me what to do. It's a free country, right? We say things like that in people's face, meaning, who are you to try to tell me what to do? But when I look at that idea of freedom, this idea of self-governing, this idea of not submitting or subjecting myself to anyone or anything, is that real freedom or are we deceived into thinking that that is real freedom? Is there really more to this idea of what freedom really is? Last week we talked a little bit more in this series going through this idea of things being true-ish about this idea of understanding and discerning the truth versus what is actually a version of the truth, but it's actually a lie. It's just true-ish. And there are many false teachers in our day, just as there were in Paul's day, which we're going to go through, and we're going to read more in Galatians today. But false teachers, one of their main tactics that they use is they want to empower you by elevating you, and they call it freedom. And actually, it's idolatry, and it actually leads to bondage. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 3. This is nothing new. We're going to start here in the beginning. The serpent in the garden of Eden. Everything's perfect. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." You see, this is actually not a new tactic. This isn't a new thing. This isn't a new plot that the enemy has been using. It's the same thing that's happened since the very beginning. The enemy here in Genesis, when he's tempting Adam and Eve, the very first two people on the planet, what is he trying to tempt them with? This idea of self-governance, this idea of being free, this idea of being free from what God says is good or bad, and now you get to choose what you think is truly good or bad. And so he's wanting to put humanity in that position by offering them this fruit to disobey God, to trust that they can make up their own decisions for themselves. I mean, they can decide for themselves. They don't have to listen to God. And so Satan calls into question the goodness of God. Satan calls into question uh, the, the very word of God, and he gets them to question those things to the point to where they both end up taking of that fruit. 
And it's the same tactic that's used today. It's this idea of there's something more out there that God's holding back from you. There's something more that you can enjoy and explore on your own if you will just make up your own rules and live by your own values and the things you think are right and wrong. And it's the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. And false teachers love to take this idea of self-empowerment and self-elevation, and it's a form of idolatry where we're actually worshiping at the altar of our own ideals instead of trusting in God, but they peddle it and call it freedom. But Satan enslaves you by elevating you. That's what he does. He wants to elevate you to enslave you. He wants to make much of you so you will then begin to buy into your own press and begin to think higher of yourself than you should. The Bible over and over talks about how we shouldn't be drunk on ourselves, or we should be sober-minded. We should not be drunk with wine as an, as an access because we don't want to be people who are making poor choices thinking we're making good choices. We don't want to be living in a way that we think is actually good when it's actually not. There are elements of truth to things that false teachers will share in what we'll call this empowerment gospel. And that's what is so deceiving about it is that when this begins to make much of us, what does it do? It makes us feel good when we hear teaching that's all about us and how we're so great and how we're the best. And actually, this idea, once we believe in it, once we kind of take the bait, it actually creates this system of slavery because now we're thinking that we are our own answer. Or maybe not us in our current form, a better version of us. And so we think Jesus helps us become the better version of ourselves so that we can do the things that you know, we couldn't do before. Jesus kind of makes us you know, me 2.0. And I was okay before, I was good, but Jesus is like the spice of life that enhances my already good qualities and makes them even better. And that's how people perceive Christ when they buy into this type of false teaching. And we truly need to learn how to be free from ourselves. I want you to do me a favor. When you get a chance, I want you to Google this term, narcissus, and I'm going to spell it for you, N-A-R-C-I-G-E-S-I-S. One more time, because I don't want you to miss this, N-A-R-C-I-G-E-S-I-S. I want you to Google that term because it's this idea of interpreting the Scripture in an unhealthy way, and I want you to understand what that means, because the proper way to interpret Scripture is called exegesis. That means that I'm looking at the context of the body of what's being said, and the Scripture is actually speaking to me. There's another term that we'll use in seminary that's called eisegesis, which a lot of teachers do, and it's really popular, where they'll isolate one Scripture, and they'll actually go and look for that one particular Scripture to prove their point. That's isolating the text. And so that's called eisegesis, but exegesis is the healthy way. But then there's narcissus. Narcissus is the type of teaching and the type of teachers that will regularly look to Scripture in a narcissistic kind of way by inserting themselves in the role of the hero. And it elevates you and makes much of you. And you began to look for yourself in the scripture and put yourself in the story of the Bible. I'll give you a few examples so you can kind of understand what I'm talking about. Maybe you've heard teaching like this before. Your debt is the wall of Jericho and you're Joshua. And if you obey God, that wall of debt is going to fall. If you'll just march around that thing seven times and shout to the glory of God, that debt's going to be erased. And you're Joshua, 
and the wall of Jericho is your debt, and now we're looking at Scripture as allegory. Or you're Gideon, who God called a mighty man of valor, and you can defeat God, and you can defeat your enemies with the help of God in unconventional ways, just like Gideon. Or you're David, and your challenge at work is Goliath, and all you got to do is sling that word of God, those five smooth stones at your giant, and he's going to be defeated. You're David, you're Gideon, you're Joshua, you're this character in the scripture. And that's what Narcissus uh, does. That's what teachers that interpret scripture that way do. They look to the scripture and they teach others to look to the scripture to put themselves in the role of the hero. And what it does is it, man, it feels good. I want to be the hero. Don't you want to be the hero? I love watching superhero movies with my kids. Like right now, we're doing this thing where we're going through like all of the Marvel universe as a family, like in order. And uh, we're going through these different movies. And as we have time, we'll sit down and watch a couple of them, you know, and, and we're kind of making our way through all those different movies. When I watch those movies, I think about that hero and I want to identify with that hero. I want to be the hero. I want to be at least one of the cool ones like Iron Man or Thor. I don't want to be like Ant-Man or something like lame like that. Or Hawkeye. How did he even make the cut? But I want to be one of the cool ones, right? And that's what we do. We identify with these characters, and people will teach the Scripture the same way, where it makes much of you. And it's all about this self-empowerment idea that they call gospel, to make much of you, to elevate you, so that you can look to yourself as the answer, or you can become that better version of yourself, so that you can, at the end of the day, be the answer. Can I tell you something today, church? Stop looking for yourself in the Bible and instead start looking for Jesus. Well, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I said stop looking for yourself in the Bible and start looking for Jesus. You see, you're not the answer to your own problem. Jesus is the answer to everything. It's not Jesus plus you. It's not like you're helping Jesus out. You're lending Jesus a hand. It's not like Jesus helps you be better so you can be a better version of yourself and so everyone looks to you and thinks you're great. No, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, go over to Galatians chapter 4. I asked you guys last week, if you were here or if you watched online, I asked you to go through and spend this week reading the book of Galatians and I hope that you took time to do that. I hope that you were able to read it. Maybe some of you read it multiple times. I hope that you did. I hope you took that challenge seriously because the book of Galatians is where we're going back to today. We're going to start off in the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians, and we're going to read this, and then we're going to revisit some ideas that we talked about so that we can familiarize ourselves with this text. Let's just read real quick Galatians 4, uh, verse 8 through 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Wow. That's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia here. And he's telling them, listen, you remember when you didn't know God? Like when you didn't know God, it made sense that you were a slave to these sins. You were a slave to looking to yourself as the answer. When you didn't know God, that made a little bit more sense. But now that you've come to know God or rather been known by God, 
How is it after you've experienced true freedom from knowing him that you would want to turn back to these weak and worthless and elementary principles of the world? It's like you're subjecting yourselves to slavery. Like by your own admission, you're saying, yes, sign me up. I want to be a slave to the way I used to be before I knew God or I was known by God. He's saying, you guys are focused in verse 10 on observing days and months and seasons and years. Like you're more concerned about the calendar than you are with pleasing God. And I'm just afraid all that time I spent with you, could it have been that I labored over you in vain? He's trying to get them to evaluate their hearts and ask these hard questions because the Galatians had been tricked by false teachers to trust in their own work plus faith in Jesus to inherit eternal life. They were taught to trust in things like circumcision, eating a kosher diet, and observing the Sabbath, and many other things, that if they did those types of things, plus trusting in Jesus, then they would be accepted by God. And instead of it setting them free, this self-empowerment teaching that says you can now save yourself, it actually made them slaves. And Paul was trying to help them see that they were now being slaves to their own idea of a path to truly being redeemed and saved and made new in the eyes of God. But it was peddled as freedom, but it brought bondage. It's the same type of false teaching that are out there today that will want to make much of you. Hey, I know Jesus did this part, but now it's your turn. Now you do all these things and you can become so great and you can do all these things and you can be this great person. And we miss trusting in Christ alone. We began to drift. We began to trust in ourselves and that's exactly why we need to stay rooted and grounded in keeping Jesus the focus. We keep Jesus at the center because Christ alone is the hope of the world. Amen? All right, let's read verse 12 through 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What has become of your blessedness? In other words, Paul is saying, you guys used to be really favorable towards me. You guys used to be really nice towards me. You used to be like loving hearing my teaching. Even when I stayed with you and I was sick, instead of you guys saying, oh man, you're, you're sick, this guy's become a burden. You actually loved taking care of me and you were such a blessing to me. What happened to that? Like, because now these Judaizers are coming in teaching this false gospel that they've begun to believe in, and now they've also began to discredit the ministry of Paul. So now not only are they turning from the gospel, but they're actually beginning to go, who's this Paul guy anyway think that he is? And he's like, you guys, you guys loved me. What, what happened because of this blessedness that I received? He said, verse 15, I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Like, you guys really loved me, and... and and you were willing to do anything for me. Verse 16, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, talking about those false teachers. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that they may make much of them. You see, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You hear Paul's heart for the people in this area of Galatia? He's saying, these people, 
want to make much of you. They've discredited me. They've led you into a false gospel. They're making much of you, but it's really not even for you. At the end of the day, these false teachers aren't interested in you. They're interested in what they're going to get from you because now they can go back to all of those Jewish people and can say, look at how many people we got to begin to follow the ways of Judaism because of how we've converted them from Christianity over back into Judaism, how we've used Christ to get them back into our way of believing. Look at how we've done this. And they're trying to do this for their own gain. They're trying to do this so other people will think, well of them they've got another agenda and false teachers they have a secret a hidden agenda sometimes it's more obvious than others i mean if someone gets up here and says god told me to tell you that you all are going to be able to pay for me um, a new 10 million dollar airplane that benefits me that's kind of obvious right you can kind of see that real clearly god told me to tell you by the way you're gonna all buy me a 10 million dollar airplane that's obvious deception. And that, obviously, you can see the end game there. But I think that there are a lot of false teachers, most false teachers, aren't that egregious with the types of things that they're doing. You may miss all of this because, honestly, they may be missing it. Pray for them because they may be self-deceived themselves, thinking they're doing good, thinking they're teaching and preaching good things, but they're actually teaching and preaching a narcissist-type gospel that's not really the gospel. And they're actually teaching and leading you down a path that is trying to elevate you and make much of you. And really, like Paul, he said, they're making much of you, but it's not for you, really. They want to just shut you out because they're really, they're really using you to make much of them. They're filling the stadiums. They're, they're, they're maybe building a bigger building and, and maybe popular and their books may be flying off the shelves and they may be the hottest new thing that's on YouTube or that may be shared on social media. But just because they're popular doesn't mean that they're elevating Jesus. They just may be elevating you. So be careful. Be careful of who you're elevating. Amen? Amen. I want to elevate Jesus. I don't want something to just simply elevate me. That is a false gospel. It's flattery, and it's for personal gain and ego. Now, let's go through chapter 5, because the rest of chapter 4 talks more about this idea of freedom and being a slave. And he uses the example of Abraham's wife, Sarah, and her maidservant, uh, Hagar. And he talks about that. And you can read that if you want to, about freedom. He talks about the difference in their kids and how they represent freedom and slavery. But then down in chapter five, in verse one, he goes back to this idea of freedom. And he says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. He's saying you, if you're trusting in the fact that you now have been circumcised instead of trusting in Christ alone, you're missing out on how you are accepted into the family of God. It's not by a work of the flesh like circumcision or by eating a kosher diet or by keeping the Sabbath. It's not by these works. Instead, it's by faith. You're justified by faith. The Bible says, for the just shall live by faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus. He's saying you're making much of yourself here 
And if you're going to want to go down that pathway of being justified by the law, then you can't just keep those things. It's not just about doing these few token things. you got to do all of it, buddy. And you got to do all of it perfect. And you can't ever mess up or you're going to be rejected. you got to do it perfect all the time, every day, all the time, in order to try to earn righteousness. And, and it's still not going to work. And he's trying to show them that. Verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, then why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Here, Paul begins to talk about what real freedom is. He's giving us what true freedom is. He says, real freedom is in Christ. And here's your bottom line this week. Freedom in Christ is found in submission to Christ. Now that doesn't make sense to us because we don't like this idea of submission. We think freedom is doing what we want. We think freedom is getting our way. We think freedom is us choosing to do what we want to do, how we want to do it. Nobody's going to tell me what, to, what I want to do. It's a free country. That's what we think freedom is. But we've got a bad definition of freedom because freedom is actually found in Christ and in submission to Christ. That means, Jesus, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are better than my thoughts. Not my thoughts are better than your thoughts. You see, I start getting into trouble when I start thinking about how I know Jesus said this. I know we're supposed to keep Jesus at the center, but I know that we're supposed to follow God's ways, but... Anytime I start adding the word but after something written in the word of God, I begin to elevate my way of thinking above God's way of thinking. Anytime that I begin to interject myself and make much of myself and I begin to think I'm the answer, now I'm not looking to Christ anymore. And then I begin to play God and I begin to live my life by my own rules. 
in my own ways, which means I'm going to do stupid things, which means I'm going to do selfish things, which means that I'm going to live in a way that's going to gratify my flesh. And here, Paul is very clear. He says, listen, if you want to live and try to justify yourself by the flesh, then you're going to be enslaved to that flesh, and you're going to walk according to those things of the flesh. And here's what those things are. Boom, boom, boom. He starts to rattle off a quick list of works of the flesh. He says, but, but, I am wanting to exhort you to walk after the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, not fulfilling, not satisfying those desires of the flesh. And here's the fruit of that type of life. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, kindness, goodness. All of these things that he begins to talk about are fruits of a life submitted to Christ. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is not some laundry list that you look at as a Christian and go, how do I try harder to get better at those things and I check off when I feel like I'm doing well? Well, I got the self-control one down, got the gentleness one down, I'm doing pretty good at that. That's not the purpose of how do I do the fruit of the Spirit better. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit and it's gonna come out of healthy ground with healthy roots that have healthy things coming into it, amen? I mean, think about a tree. That tree doesn't say, I'm going to try really hard for apples this year. Mm, I'm going to try really hard. How do I do apples better? How can I do apples? The tree is not concerned with that. The tree is not concerned with how do I do apples better this year? What makes the apples better? The apples come naturally, and they're going to be better. The better the soil, the better the health of the tree. Amen? That's how it works. God created it to work that way. So why would we think the fruit of the Spirit operates any differently? You see, this is just a result. That's what fruit is. Fruit is a result. Jesus said a tree will be known by its fruit. Either make the tree good and the fruit good, and the tree could be bad and the fruit's bad. Either way, a tree is going to be known by its fruit. The quality of the, what is produced from your life, is it the things of the Spirit? Well, if you're walking according to the Spirit, then you're going to be producing the fruit of a life that is walking submitted to Christ. And that's why freedom is really found in submission. It's found in me saying, Lord, not my way, but your way. It's found in me humbling myself under the mighty hand of God. Not in me exalting my ways above God's ways. Not me thinking I know better than God. That's when I get into trouble. That's what got Adam and Eve into trouble. That's what still gets us into trouble today. That's why it's so important for us to focus on Christ. And that's why I'm trying to encourage you and exhort you to focus on Christ and find Christ in the Bible instead of looking for yourself because you're not that great. And I'm not that great. None of us are that great. And it's not about us finding greatness within ourselves. It's about Christ being enough. It's about Jesus, the greater one, living on the inside of me. Not because he makes me great and now I get to be great too. No, it's he's great and I want all the glory to go to him. I want to point people to Jesus. So here's the difference. Narcissus would say that your Joshua and the wall of Jericho is your obstacle. It's your challenge. It's your debt. But here's what a life submitted to Christ would say. A life submitted to Christ would say, yes, I, I may have debt. Yes, I may uh, need to learn some things about my finances, so I want to submit my life to Christ. So here's how I'm going to do that. Before I begin to budget for the month or b before I begin to pay the bills, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to ask the question, how can I glorify God with my finances? How can I glorify God with my current situation? How can these finances glorify God? So I need to think about what's going to glorify God in my finances first. 
Well, I want to make sure that I'm honoring God with the way I'm stewarding the resources he's given me. So I want to make sure that I'm investing, that I'm, that I'm giving to the Lord first and foremost. That's the whole point of it is that I'm wanting to glorify God first. And then the other things that I do need to be God-honoring and glorifying God. Is providing a roof over my head for my family, does that bring honor and glory to God? Yes, I'm going to do that. Is making sure that I have income, that I'm earning income to be able to pay for things in my family, providing food for my family, is that honoring to God? Yes. How can I glorify God with the way I'm going to steward my finances? And then maybe if there's some things that are questionable, oh, I don't know if the way spending money that direction or that direction honors God, then don't do those things. That's how you submit to Christ. First of all, I'm going to start off, I'm going to give him what is his. I'm going, to, I'm going to give back to the Lord. I'm going to give the tithe. I'm going to trust him with that portion. And then I'm going to trust him with the rest of it also. I don't stop there. I'm going to still submit all of my finances in the way I operate. Instead of me saying, I'm Joshua, and I'm going to speak to that wall, and that wall is going to come crumbling down. I'm doing some research. I found a speaker. I kid you not, kid you not. This guy said, if you will give by way of credit card to my ministry, if you'll give $1,000, God is going to miraculously wipe all the debt off of that card. I kid you not. It didn't work, by the way. I mean, no. <laughs> but how silly is that? And how, how, how harmful is that? And someone calling that gospel. Someone calling that truth. Oh, yeah, give, give by way of credit card. Let's not be duped. It's not, I'm Joshua, and my debt is the wall of Jericho, and I need to be pumped up. No, it's, I need to submit to Christ, because obviously my finances are out of order, because my life isn't submitted to Christ, and I need to submit some things to Jesus. It's not, my boss or my situation at, at work, that big challenge is Goliath, and I'm David. No, that's not the story, it's I want to submit my life to Christ and I want to glorify God in this situation. So how can I honor God in this situation at work where my boss may demand things out of me that are unfair? How, do, how would Jesus respond? How did Jesus respond? I look at scripture. How did Jesus respond to those who treated him poorly? I can look to see the heart of God in those situations and then I submit to that and I say, Lord, help me do that because I want to honor and glorify you not load up my sling with those token scriptures and hurl them at my boss or hurl them at that situation. That's not how scripture should be used. It's that I learned the heart of God and then I can say, how can I submit my life to Christ? How am I supposed to treat those who treat me unfairly? How am I supposed to respond to criticism? How am I supposed to respond to being falsely accused? Was Jesus falsely accused? Yeah. How did he respond to it? I need to learn that. I need to invest that so that those things can help me to navigate the challenges and situations, not me getting pumped up being told I'm David or being told I'm Joshua or being told I'm Gideon or any other figure in the scriptures. But instead, how can I submit my life to Jesus and how can Jesus help me navigate this situation that I'm in? Fixing your eyes on Jesus fixes the problem you can't fix. Fixing your eyes on Jesus fixes the problem you can't fix. Whatever I do, Colossians 3 and 23, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. That's how I submit. I'm going to do it as unto Him. And that's the question is how can I glorify God in this current situation? Whatever your situation may be. I don't know everyone's situation in this room. But how can you glorify God in this situation?
whatever challenge you're facing. Instead of you coming here and getting pumped up, told that you're some Bible character and you just do the things that Bible character did and you're going to experience some sort of victory over that situation, what if instead you begin to ask the question, how can I submit myself to Christ and glorify God in the current situation I find myself in? Sometimes that means standing up for some things. Sometimes that means speaking some hard truths in love. Sometimes that means turning the other cheek. Sometimes that means uh, love covering that offense. Sometimes that means love confronting that offense. Sometimes that means going to your knees and praying and interceding because you really can't do anything physically and you're wearing yourself out trying to fix it and control it in your own strength. Some of you need to be open and honest with other people. Maybe that's the thing that would be glorifying to God. Whatever your situation is, how can you most glorify God in this current situation? And if you need some help, that's what the body of Christ is for, amen? We're here to help each other, to sharpen each other, to do life together, to be able to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you don't have to walk through this alone. I'm not going to criticize you along the journey because I know that I'm still growing too. I'm not going to beat you down along this journey because I want to encourage you and lift you up, but I want us to both grow. So how can we honor God together? How can we glorify God in the current situation we find ourselves in? So to be free from me, to be free from the bondage of myself, I must repent of my self-reliance because we all have a little bit of narcissistic tendencies in us where we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we should. We begin to elevate ourselves uh, in areas we shouldn't. We all get a little drunk on ourselves. But Scripture says for us to be sober-minded. The Apostle Paul says, don't listen to those people who are just wanting to pump you up and make much of you. Stay focused on Jesus. That's what Paul was trying to get the Galatians to see. Don't buy into the lie. Don't buy into this, this teaching that wants to make much of you. Don't go seeking and searching for that kind of stuff because the Bible said that there's going to be a time where people are not going to listen to sound doctrine. They're actually going to go heap up for themselves teachers who are going to scratch their itching ears that are just going to say the things they want to hear. So I'm sorry that if you came to Word of Grace or if you logged online and, and, and you wanted to hear me tell you how much like David you are, you're You're not. <laughs> Guess who was like David? David. Guess what? God called Gideon a mighty man of valor because he needed to encourage Gideon and call him a man of valor. He wasn't calling you a man of valor too. He may need to encourage you and he may encourage you in different ways, but that was Gideon. So don't be looking for yourself. Be looking for Jesus. See Jesus. See the heart of God behind it. God encouraged Gideon. He may want to encourage me, but he didn't call me a man of valor like he called Gideon. God wants to encourage me, but he doesn't want to encourage me by making much of me. He wants to encourage me by pointing me to my need for Jesus and Jesus being the answer to my need. And that's what Paul was trying to do to the Galatians, and that's what I'm trying to do with all of us here today to help us fix our eyes on Jesus. The answer is not a better version of you. The answer is not Jesus helping you get better and being a better person. The answer is not elevating or empowering you through your good works, through your ambitions, through your behavior, but instead it's in denying yourself, crucifying your flesh daily, walking in the Spirit by submitting to Christ and doing everything as unto Christ. That's how you walk in the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit by submitting to Christ. And how can I submit to Christ if I don't know Him? So it's very important for us to know Him. Amen, church? It's important for us to know Him, and one of the best ways for us to get to know Him is to spend time in His Word to get to know his heart, 
to get to see what he values, to get to see what glorifies God. If you're new to reading the Bible, I would encourage you, start in one of the four Gospels. Start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I would personally recommend reading John. And then maybe start reading the book of James and start reading some things that will help you grow in understanding who Jesus is and start understanding and how to live this Christian life. And first and second Peter, uh, he begins to talk about how to, how to live this Christian life in the face of difficulties and challenges. Read some of those things and see what's the heart of God there. What, what is glorifying God about what these people are doing? What's glorifying God about what Jesus said or did? And how can I glorify God by submitting to that, by trusting, to that, trusting that? That's going to help you to walk in the Spirit and not satisfy these lusts of the flesh for you to go, yes, that's right. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I belong to Jesus. I want to keep Jesus at the center. I want to make much of Jesus. If I'm going to elevate anybody, I want to elevate Jesus. So how can... I glorify God in my current situation, whatever that may be. Folks, I want us to remember that freedom in Christ is found in submission to Christ. So let's ask him to help us do that today. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your freedom. We thank you for speaking to every heart in this place and both online. We're so grateful for the opportunity for us to hear your word, to grow in your word, and help us to be led by the Spirit. Help us to submit to your truth. Help us to grow in Christ-likeness and godliness. We need you. We confess our dependence today. We confess our need. We confess our inability to be able to remedy this ourselves. And so, Jesus, we confess our need for you. And if there's anyone online or in this place today that does not know Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, may today be the day of their salvation. May today be the day where their eyes are opened to where they respond in faith by crying out to you because your scripture says, as many as call on the Lord shall be saved. So Lord, I pray that if there is someone here, either watching online or here in the building, that does not know you, may they call on your name today, Jesus. May they call out in faith. May they confess their need. May they see their their own sin, and may they just repent of that before you and admit that and admit their need. And Lord, we know that you accept, Lord, them. We know that you welcome them when they trust in you and they're justified by faith. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw people, that you would open eyes, that you would soften even the hardest of hearts. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. What church would you stand today? I want us to just keep reading the book of Galatians. We're going to keep going through this teaching for another week or two, and we're going to keep growing in understanding how to walk in true freedom. And I pray that today you found freedom from yourself and that you're walking out being able to understand how to look at Scripture in a healthy way and better discern the truth and live walking according to the Spirit. Number 6 and 24 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless your word of grace. Have an awesome week and a happy Thanksgiving. You are dismissed.